All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. Who's excited to be at church today? Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, I want to say a big hello really quick to uh, our entire North Platte campus. Um, excited about what God's doing out there. Thanks for being out there, guys. We're excited about you. We love you, right? We love you. And today is a unique day here at our Kearney campus because of some weather conditions. And, you know, we're in spring and evidently we didn't get enough snow throughout the winter. So people are freaking out around Kearney. Like, what do I do? How am I going to live? How am I going to survive? And so we have... We've combined our east and our west venues together, so we are one church at our Kearney campus right now. Come on, Kearney campus, let me hear you. Awesome, awesome, man, that's great. Well, listen, my name's Jeff, if you're a guest here with us. I had the privilege of serving as the lead pastor, and today you're here for week two of our current teaching series entitled Live Dead. No, not Live Dead, my bad. (laughs) Wipe that away. You know what? Live dead was last year, and I loved it, by the way. But right now, I'm going to live dead for a moment. No, it's dark room. Dark room. And so listen, if you weren't here last week, if you were not here, listen, check this out, okay? Dark room. Um, we kicked it off last week. It, you need to go to our website. You need to go to mynewlifechurch.com. You, you have to listen to the introduction to last week's sermon. I don't have time to go back and redo all of that material, but it really helps you understand and sets it up like where are we at and where in the world are we going with this whole dark room teaching series. Uh, So if you just read the graphics, you see the poster and you don't understand it, then please go there and see what it's all about. You'll get a a good understanding at mynewlifechurch.com. Today, as we kick this off, Um, This whole dark room concept is where character gets developed. So it's in the difficult moments. It's in the struggling times. It's in the times when you, you see more about, you see more of yourself, but you're not able to like reach it and gain it. Um, It's kind of like a tree. A tree goes through multiple different seasons. And right now we're kind of confused, aren't we? We don't know if we're going to go into spring and go into summer or we're going to like stay in winter. Uh, but a tree, it goes through, it goes to that winter season when all the foliage is gone off of it, right? And then it goes into spring, like now you start to see buds on trees, and then it will get to summer where the foliage, it's just complete. I mean, it's full, it's, it's awesome, it's beautiful, it's, it's maximized, it's at its full potential, and then it drifts back into fall where all the leaves come off of it, and then back into winter. Some of our lives, we might feel like we are the tree that's been stuck in winter, Right? We're this, this tree. We, can, we know we've got amazing potential. We, we know that we can do incredible things. We, we know that if we are complete and if we're full, that um, you know, our life is beautiful, it's powerful, it's significant, it can make a big difference, but we feel like we're stuck in winter. Wondering to ourselves, God, when will you ever put me on the stage and let my life truly shine for what it was designed to do? Some of you, you might feel like you've been stuck in winter for years, maybe a decade or more. You just might feel like you're at the stage where you can see something incredible. Even maybe others have looked at you and they've, they've said to you, man, you're, you're incredible. Like I can see great things in your life. And they even call out some of those amazing things in you. 
But yet, you just can't, you just can't put it together. You, you can't seem like the timing can be right so that the buds can start to come and the foliage can start to grow. You feel like you're stuck in winter. And in the Bible, there are a number of individuals that felt like they were in the dark room for years, if not decades. And today, we're going to look at one of these guys who was stuck in the dark room for 20 plus years of his life. Now, I guarantee you, none of you want to be stuck in the dark room for 20 plus years of your life. This guy was stuck in the dark room for 20 plus years of his life before God ever put him on the stage and let him shine for him. This guy we're going to talk about today, his name is Joseph. Now, you can begin the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, where Joseph was born to a man by the name of Jacob. Right? And Joseph was born, he was the youngest. He had 11 older brothers. Anybody here have older brothers? Was that fun? How about 11 of them? How about 11 of them? Now, some of you are like, man, my brother was loving. Well, praise God. But other, others of us, you know, with older brothers, like not me, but I was an older brother, so I can speak from a personal perspective. We're not always the kindest all the time, right? We, we kind of rule the roost. We kind of feel like, hey, we've got the right to do a few things. Well, here's Joseph, and he has 11 older brothers. He was the youngest sibling, in essence. And if that wasn't bad enough, he was favored by his father. Like his father loved Joseph more than he loved, actually, the other brothers. Now, I know that's hard for us as parents to even wrap our minds around, but he loved him so much. And the reason why he did is because Joseph was born to Jacob in, in his old years. So here he is. He's old. He's probably thinking to himself, I'm never going to have a kid again. And then, bam, Joseph shows up, right? So Jacob, it says that he makes him this special coat, we kind of refer to it as the coat of many colors. And, he, and Joseph, he wears this thing everywhere, which what, what, what do you think that did to the 11 older brothers watching him wear this coat that his father had given him because his father's like, I love you, Joseph, more than all the rest. You think that the other 11 brothers were just like, wow, I'm so happy for you, Joseph. Like, that's incredible, man. I'm like, wow, you're going to be something amazing. No, it did, just, it did just the opposite. They were so jealous of him that they actually hated him. Can you imagine the bullying that took place, the practical jokes that took place, the words that were said to Joseph? In the middle of all of this, when Joseph shows up on the scene in the Bible, the Bible says that he's 17 years old. We don't know anything really about those early years other than just what life is like, right? So we speculate. But we also know what happened after Joseph shows up. And so that does bring some good, clear evidence to what was going on in that childhood. But at 17 years old, we see Joseph on the scene, and he ends up with two dreams. Two dreams. These dreams kind of seem like they happen back to back. Um, one dream, they're out in the fields, and they're taking care of the wheat, and they're bundling up the wheat. They're cutting it off, and they're bundling it up. And Joseph says to them, he says to his brothers, this dream, check this out. 17 years old, the youngest of, you know, of all of his siblings, 11 older brothers. He, he says to them, look, here's what happened. My my stack, it, it kind of like, it stood up nice and tall and straight. And then 11 other ones joined around me and they bowed down to me. Now remember, he's talking to his brothers. There's 11 of them. And so basically what he's saying to them is this. You know what? I might be the small little shrimp of the family, but one day I'm going to be standing tall and you guys, you're all going to bow down to me. Now he may not have said it with that attitude, but that's how they took it. And they mocked him. <laughs> like, are you serious? 
Who, who do you think you are that we're going to bow down to you? You don't have a clue, my friend, what's going on. And you can almost imagine right there, they probably took him over and gave him a swirly or, you know, they did, they did something, right? They did something. They gave him a wedgie, something that brothers would do to brothers, right? You got it? You got the, you maybe don't want that picture in your head. I got that. Okay. Just let that go. Let that go. There was something that went on there. I guarantee you. So then Joseph, he ends up having another dream. This time, because of evidently the treatment of what just happened when he just told his brothers, this time he takes the dream and he tells his father and his brothers. And he says to them, guys, I had a dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars again. They bowed down to me. And then he probably went, they bowed down to me. You know, like, what, what's going to happen? And his father, his father was there. And here's what Genesis chapter 37 has to say about it. It says that this time, this second dream, he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but even his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And we begin to see very quickly in this story what God, what God uses, which we're calling the dark room, to develop character. We can see right now that character is developed through timing, and through underdog moments. Timing. It's that period where you, you have this vision, you have this dream, you have this agenda that's stirring inside of you that you go, I really think this is from God. But the timing doesn't match up. There's these moments when you just want to get out there and you want to make something happen, but it's like your wheels, they just spin like you can't go anywhere. And you've got the dream and the desire and you're trying to give it everything you can, but you're wondering to yourself, God, why would you put this in my heart if I'm not going to be able to accomplish it? And it's that moment when we're waiting on God's timing because all too often many of us have taken God's vision for our life or God's dream or a desire that God put inside of our hearts and then we started running with it and we run way too early and we get way too far down the road only to have to stop to repent and to retreat and that can be really humbling and that's what Joseph is experiencing here he's getting a vision or a dream from God of the future and it's going to happen he just doesn't understand what the timing is And so he's stuck in this moment when he shares this and he's so excited about it and he doesn't know what it means, but he's like, don't you guys see how excited I am? I don't just have dreams like this. God spoke to me. I'm going to go make it happen. You can almost see ourselves in that, in that same mindset of, can't you guys understand how important this is? I got to go run after this right now. God said it only to end up in very, very difficult moments. The difference between God's timing and your timing, God uses to create character in us. When we have to wait, we have to wait in that waiting period for God to come around and say, okay, now is the right time. To to understand it, though, you have to really start looking at what God says through the eyes of your spirit versus your soul. All too often we get excited and our emotions get stirred up and then our self-will engages and then we're kind of like, there's nothing stopping me now. And boom, we just start running. That's our soul. God will use that because God spoke to us. God created that in us. God wants to use those emotions and he wants to use your self-will and he wants to use your mind. But when we allow our emotions and our will and our own thoughts to lead us, we end up in trouble. 
We end up in moments that we have to retreat and stop, and that's very humbling. So to avoid that, then we have to come and listen through the lens of the Spirit. It's like looking at a negative, an old 35-millimeter photo, uh, photo film. You know, when, when you took a black-and-white photo, let, let me show you. When you took the black-and-white photo, the, the negative looked like this, but then the image looked like that, where everything that was light, you know, became darker, and everything that was dark on the negative became lighter. That's the way Joseph was. Joseph was looking at this dream, and he could only see the negative of it. And everything was reversed. And many times when God speaks to us, it's like we're looking at the negative of it, and it gets reversed, and we don't understand the timing. And so we get ahead of God, and we start running ahead of God, trying to paint the actual picture, but we don't know what the actual picture is supposed to look like because all we can see is the negative. So God will allow us to see a portion of a vision. God will allow us to get a glimpse of a picture of a dream. God will give us a, you know, like, 10%, and he wants us to trust him with the other 90%. And so to do that, then we have to listen with the lens of our spirit. And here's some very practical things about listening with the lens of the spirit. First, it requires faith. Faith to even take the picture, to even start moving, to say, God, that's you, okay? Number one, you spoke to me in that dream. You spoke to me through that scripture. You spoke to me through this sermon. You spoke to me in this moment of prayer. Faith, don't give it up. God's the one who spoke it. Joseph shouldn't give it up. God's the one who gave him the dream. So hang on to it with faith. But then there's footing, the footing piece. This is where we screw it up all the time, where we start running ahead of God, where we need to start taking steps on that vision and that dream but taking them cautiously. Take every step cautiously when God speaks. Until you are confident and you are sure that the timing's lined up with what God said, take every step cautious. There's a moment where boldness is coming, all right? But at the beginning, it's cautious. You cautiously take some steps. How do you do that? What does that really mean? Well, take the vision and the dream to some other people that you know that love you and they care about you and they know God and and they'll speak truth to you. Like, they'll tell you, you're crazy. That's the kind of person you want to talk to. Not the kind of person who'll just pat you on the back and go, man, you are amazing. Right? I'm so excited for you. Go to the kind of person that would try to shoot holes in the vision and in the dream and in what you sense God's saying. But oftentimes, we avoid those people. Why? Because we don't want to take the cautious steps. We just want to run. And if you run, you're going to end up stopping some point. You're going to end up retreating. It's going to end up very humbling. Some of you are literally burnt right now on the timing of God because you said, God spoke, I did it, it didn't work out. God spoke, I did it, it didn't work out. I did it three times. I'm not going there again. I'm I'm encouraging you today, reactivate faith. Reactivate faith. God isn't done speaking to you. God isn't done empowering you. But know this, that when God speaks, the time and waiting between when it happens to the, to the fruition of it, that's the dark room. That's where character gets built. That's when you really get to learn who God is and who God's designing you to be. It's a big difference between your soul engaging and just running with it with your own creative ideas versus being cautious before you run. Take gentle steps before you run. Make sure it's God's timing. Just because God spoke it, it might not be God's timing for another 20 years. But then you also have the underdog moments. 
He's the youngest of 11 ruthless brothers. So here's a few things. Character definitely is developed when you live in a relationship where someone else is trying to keep you down. When someone else has got their thumb on you and they're pushing you down, you, that's where character gets developed. That's where you've got to figure out who you really are. Unfortunately, that's happening in marriages. That's happening in workplaces from management. That's happening where anywhere there's authority, authority can be abused and authority can be taken wrong and it can be the kind of thumb that pushes someone down. You just need to know this, that if you're in one of those moments where you're in an underdog moment, a moment where someone else has got their thumb on you in some capacity or in some way, you need to know this. God knows, he's there, he understands what's going on, but he's using those moments to develop character in you. So don't, don't take the route of just equaling you know, their oppression to you. That's just, that's just you lowering yourself to their level. Rise above it. Rise above it. We don't see Joseph anywhere in Scripture you know, going to the depth of his brothers. In fact, later on in Scripture, we see Joseph taking the high road. And if you don't know the whole, whole story of Joseph, you're going to need to look at it because I don't have time to tell you the whole story. But I know this. Joseph, even when the thumb was put down on him... You know, decades later, decades later, he doesn't put the thumb back down on his brothers. In fact, when they come to him for help, he gives them the help that they need. He doesn't go back to the days when 11 ruthless brothers put their thumbs down on him and say, look what you did to me, and now here's what I'm going to do to you. He tests their character, he tests their real heart, and then he gives them the kind of blessing that God would say, give, give this blessing to the person who's trying to oppress you. Character is also developed when you have to face your enemy, though. When you have to stand face-to-face with your enemy. When you know that day after day you have to face the enemy. You have to face a person that's against you. You have to be the underdog where someone's pushing you down. Character is developed in those moments. Here's how it happens. Don't, Don't go every day gathering ammunition concerning the person that is oppressing you. That's our natural humanistic instinct is to just gather ammunition to find all their faults, stack them up against them, and then when you are out of that oppression, when you walk out of that office place, as an example, and you're, you're in your car driving home, all you do from that moment to the time you get home is you just blast them with your thoughts and you blast them with your words. That doesn't serve you any good, and it doesn't help the, the relationship. It's allowing the enemy to drive a wedge between you and your heart and God and his heart for that person. God says for us to do this. When you're in an underdog situation, pray for the person who's oppressing you. Pray for them. Why does he say pray for them? And by the way, when he says pray for them, he doesn't mean this type of prayer. God, bring a lightning bolt down and strike them dead. Teach them the lesson. That's not the kind of prayer. He's asking you to pray a prayer of blessing for them. And here's the reason why. What does God care about most? cares about your heart when you pray for the person that is your enemy or has become your enemy or who is oppressing you or is holding you down here's what happens when you pray that kind of blessing for them god keeps your heart soft so he can do in you what he wants to do so always take the higher road always take the higher road you're gonna let god's character be developed in you so if that's where you're at today know this god's standing there with you Let God develop character in your heart. 
Back to Joseph's story, though. Joseph, Joseph and his, had these brothers. We already told you about those. And his brothers, had, they had gone out to take care of their herds and to graze them. And they'd been gone for, evidently, a, quite a long period of time. Long enough that Jacob, their father, was a little like, concerned or worried or he at least wanted to report on them. And so he says to Joseph, Joseph, you're, not, you're the only one here with me. And so would you go out and check on your brothers? Here's about where I think they are. And so Joseph goes out to check on the brothers. And he's going to get a report and he's going to bring it back to dad. But when Joseph was a distance off, the brothers saw him as he went over a rise. And the brothers, their hearts instantly went to their jealous and their hatred. And they said, listen, here's our opportunity. When Joseph gets to us, let's kill him, right? We'll smear the blood of an animal all over his coat. We'll take the coat back to dad. And we'll say, dad, a ferocious animal has eaten your son. All we found was the coat. Well, one of the brothers, his name is Reuben. When Reuben heard this, he insisted to his brothers, he said, guys, guys, no, man, this is not the direction we want to go. We don't want to be the ones guilty with blood on our hands, having killed our own sibling, Joseph. Let's just throw him in one of these pits in the ground called a cistern. Let's just throw him in one of these pits, and then let's decide what we want to do. So that's what they did. As soon as Joseph got there, Joseph's getting ready to ask him, hey, guys, how's it going? And they jump on him, and they rip his coat off of him, and they throw him down into the pit. And you know what the brothers did, the Bible says, literally? They ate lunch. That was their heart. That's the kind of heart these brothers had. Shortly, shortly after they'd thrown him in the pit and they're eating lunch, these foreigners are coming by. These foreigners are obviously people of, that are coming to trade and they're heading down towards Egypt. And so they quickly, they get Joseph out of the pit and they stop the foreigners and they said, hey, look, we got a slave here. We'd love to sell him to you. And so they sell their brother to these foreigners, and these foreigners take Joseph to Egypt to sell him as a slave. So here's another picture of what God does in developing our character that the dark room involves as well, is that character is developed in the pit. What is the pit? The pit is that, those moments, those circumstances when you are completely out of control. Like, like you're not the one in control. You're in the situation, but you have no control over it. Your hands have literally been tied. You're in this moment, but you have no control over the circumstances and the outcome. You're just stuck, like you're in a pit, like Joseph was in this pit, and he couldn't climb out of it. He was stuck there. Unless his brothers took him out, that's where he was going to die. There was no other way for him to get out of the cistern. James talks about this type of pit in James chapter 1, verse 2. He uses these words. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, troubles, when the pits come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? He says that the pits are these moments of trouble, these troubled times where you couldn't plan for these circumstances to come your way. This wasn't a plan. You, you were headed in one direction. Joseph didn't plan to be thrown into a pit. If he, if he was Planning to be thrown into a pit, he would have brought other things, like a grappling hook and some rope, and he could throw it up there and, you know, maybe pull himself back out. You get stuck in moments. You get put in pits week after week, moment after moment. Some of those pits last for periods of time. Others of them are just for a season, just for a moment. They might even be just for a day. But you get put into these moments that you can't plan for, you can't prepare for. They just come out of nowhere, and boom, now you're in a pit. You know what you find very quickly when you're in circumstances that are out of your control? You really quickly discover character. You quickly discover what kindness looks like. 
what patience looks like, what joy looks like. It's one thing to have kindness, patience, and joy when everything's going the way you want it to. But when it's not going your way, do you truly have kindness? Do you truly have patience? Do you truly have joy and peace? See, that's what God uses the pit for. He uses that dark room moment to develop true kindness, true peace, true, true joy even in those moments. And, and in James chapter 1, verse 2, he, James told us, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Seriously? Like when I'm put in a pit in, in a moment where the circumstances are out of my control, consider it? Consider those troubled times? Consider them to be moments of great joy? How and why? Here's, here's how and why. Because God hasn't forgot you in the pit. In fact, God's standing in the pit with you. And if I'm in a pit, I'm in a moment where it's out of my control, and I can remind myself God's with me, all of a sudden, the circumstances can quickly change. Like, I can begin to discover joy, even in the troubled moments. Joseph, he gets yanked out of that pit, sold to these foreigners. They take him into Egypt, and he gets sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar, who is the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph and that Joseph prospered. (laughs) It's right after Joseph is sold to this guy named Potiphar and he's a slave that the Bible says that the Lord was with the slave Joseph and he prospered even though he had no rights as a human to exist other than what Potiphar would give him. Isn't that amazing? That even in the darkroom moment, the Lord is with him and he prospers. Great things happen to him. Potiphar even notices how God blesses everything that Joseph puts his hand to. And eventually Joseph is now in charge of everything that Potiphar owns. Every, every function of Potiphar's you know, personal life and uh, of his business life, Joseph is now the manager of. He oversees it all. He becomes a guy that is second in command in that household to Potiphar. In fact, in Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, so that's just a couple of verses, four verses later than the last one I read to you, tells us that this is what it says. Potiphar didn't worry about anything except the food that he ate. <laughs> that's how good Joseph was. So if you're a business owner here, you want a Joseph around you. How would you like it if you had somebody that could you know, live at such a capacity, that could lead at such a capacity that all you had to do is worry about what you were going to eat that day? I mean, seriously, how many days could you do that? I couldn't do that very many days. Like, I'd be taking on new things. And I got friends that I know sitting in this room that if all they had to worry about was the food that they ate, they would, they would, we would all dig our own second pit of all the other things that we could go now and do. Joseph was that caliber of man. In fact, the Bible even says that Joseph, while he was young, he was well-built, muscular, good-looking kind of a guy. So much so that Potiphar's wife you know, took a liking to him, noticed him, and she was bold. She just goes up to him and basically says, hey, you're a slave in our house. I want to have sex with you. She worked hard to seduce him day after day, week after week. But Joseph, he recognized the authority that had been given to him by Potiphar, and he respected that authority. And so Joseph did everything in his power to stay away from Potiphar's wife. He would make sure that the details that he had to focus on would be done in a moment when other people were around. He, he didn't put himself into these moments where he would be tempted or to fall flat on his face. But one day, unbeknownst to Joseph, when he was getting ready to do these daily assignments, 
Potiphar's wife had made sure that all the other servants were gone, and there was just Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife in the house together. And she basically attacks him, wraps her hands around him, and says, you will have sex with me right now. And Joseph, he, understanding this authority and this respect and loving God, he pulls himself away from her so hard that the Bible literally says, in modern-day language, his shirt got ripped right off of him. She's standing there with his shirt. He walks out the door. Now, that's a man of integrity. While he's a slave, in the dark room, when he had everything inside of him like you and me would have been, like, God, what in the world? You gave me these dreams earlier, and now I'm in this situation, and here I got, and what in the world? Why do you keep putting me in these hard places? Why do I have to stay in the dark room all this time? He leaves. Well, man, that just makes Potiphar's wife furious. So she goes, I got his shirt. Instantly her mind spins and she thinks about it and she screams, help me, somebody help me. And the guards came running and the aides were there and she said, look, I got Joseph's shirt. He was just here. He was trying to seduce me and have sex with me. And they go out and they arrest him. And when Potiphar hears the story of what happened between Joseph and his wife, he throws Joseph right into prison. So quickly and pretty obviously, we see another moment that God uses as a dark room moment. The character is developed through temptation. God doesn't tempt us to sin, but God will allow temptation. He forces us with temptation to decide, are we going to pick God's way? Are we going to pick our way? And choosing God's way is the more difficult way. It's the more rewarding way, but it's the more difficult way because we have to say no to our selfish sinful desires that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult we have to learn to listen to the holy spirit in those moments when oftentimes we just want to hear our voice and we just want to do what makes us happy we we get a, a chance though to grow closer to god that's awesome but if we follow the path of temptation then the bible says sin separates us from god so in those moments when we say yes to god's way we get to grow closer to him Here's another thing that happens when we say no to temptation is that we get to grow stronger in our faith. But if you say yes to temptation, then your faith just continues to erode. And how many of us would say we are tempted on a daily basis? So this dark room of temptation, we never really get to be free from. God keeps using it in our lives. And every time we win that battle, every time we step up and we say no, every time we say I'm going to honor God, then God can do incredible things in our life. James chapter 1, verse 3, though, here's what it says. It says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. You need to know something. Our faith is going to be tested. It's part of the dark room. It's part of God building Christ-like character in us. But when we are overcomers and we let God have his way in us, then God develops inside of us Christ-like character like no other. So your current battle with temptation, it could be your greatest area of spiritual growth today. I find that pretty fascinating. That where you're being tempted, God's wanting to bring some of his greatest growth in your life. And that's what Joseph discovered. Joseph was growing as a man through this. He wasn't rewarded as a man through it, though, physically. In fact, going back to his story, Joseph was thrown into prison for a crime that he didn't commit. Joseph didn't get bitter at God, though. 
In fact, Joseph excelled in this prison. He was there for years. He excelled and he won the favor of the guards. Joseph was even given leadership position in the prison. Having been tempted the way he was and and succeeding in the temptation, saying yes to God's way and no to his selfish way, God honors him even in prison. He becomes a leader of other men. In fact, Joseph, he becomes a leader of two men that show up in prison that are only there for a few days. One, and they both come from the court of Pharaoh. One is the cupbearer, and one is the chief baker. And both of these guys are with Joseph, and guess what happens to them while they're in prison for these few days with Joseph? They end up having dreams. And they, they're because they're under Joseph, and Joseph cares about them, and he loves them, Joseph noticed something about them. He, got, he notices that they are worried. And he, he just basically asked them, what's their dream? Take a look at what Joseph did when he heard about this. He came to these guys one day, and Joseph says, why, why do you guys look so worried today? He asked them, and they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Joseph said these words, interpreting dreams is God's business. Joseph replied, go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now, this is something that I find very fascinating. Joseph uses this moment to direct all the attention to God. All of the attention to God. And he says to them, guys, only God can interpret dreams. But then he boldly goes, okay, so tell me your dream. That tells me something about Joseph's heart. That tells me that Joseph, he knew God. But he also knew the power of God. It's very fascinating to me that only God can interpret dreams. So go ahead and tell me your dreams. Here's a man in prison If you were in prison, how would you feel about, you know, how you got there? If you were there and it wasn't right and you had done everything in your power to try to honor God and now you're down in a dungeon in a pit and you're not being taken care of, many of us would not have turned our attention to God at that moment. How many of us, if we would have had a dream at 17 that didn't be, it wasn't fulfilled and now here we are and we're in prison and we still have the dream inside of our mind and then when we hear about someone else's dream, would have stepped up and said, hey, only God can interpret dreams. So, hey, let's give it a shot. Many of us, we would have taken all the evidence of the past and pointed towards God and said, God, you're guilty of being unfaithful and not following through. But Joseph, on the other hand, takes the darkroom moments and lets his heart continue to be cultivated for God. Today, I just want to challenge you. Joseph uses this moment to point all of the attention to God. Where is your relationship with God at today? I want to take all of this sermon and just point all of it to God. You might feel like you're in some kind of prison today where freedoms have been taken from you, where control is not in your hands, or where you can't see a current, where you can't see anything better than your current situation. But God's asking you to believe in his true power and never lose sight of him. You might feel like you're being tempted beyond what you can handle. But God's asking you to run towards him and to trust him and to keep your faith in him and to not give up on him. You, you might feel like God's timing is screwed up and that God has forgot about you. But God's asking for you to trust him even in the waiting period. God's asking for you to walk by faith even when your eyes see the prison or they see the pit or they see the temptation or the vision before you and it's not its right time. So I'm just coming to you today to ask you, if 
you feel like you're in a dark room, don't give up on God. If you feel like you're in a pit, don't give up on God. If you feel like you're in a prison, don't give up on God. If you feel like you have this dream and this desire that's burning inside of you, and you can't, you can't seem to get the traction to see it happen, don't give up on God. God is building character in you so that one day he can put you on the stage so that you can shine brightly for him. That's what God does. God had, God's definitely got a stage for you to shine on. But if you don't go through the pit and the prison and you don't go through the waiting period of the vision, you may never stand on the stage and shine brightly for God. Why don't you stand with me today and let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your timing is perfect. Many times, Lord, we don't, we don't think it is. So right now, Lord, we stop and confess that your timing is perfect. Lord, we take great joy right now in our troubled times. Oh, Lord, it's not natural for us. Like yesterday or even this morning, we might have been complaining about our troubled times, but now we stop for a moment. Lord, we just want to say, help us to take great joy when we're in the pit. When our temptations seem like they're overwhelming us, when we're getting bogged down, when we're getting overwhelmed by the temptation and it keeps defeating us. God, may we not run away from you in that moment, but may we run to you in that moment because, Lord, we need you now more than we've ever needed you. And you are so willing to be faithful in those moments to give us the power of your spirit to overcome temptation. Lord, thank you that you're constantly trying to build us into the men and the women of Christ-like character that you designed for us so that we can stand on your stage at the right moment and shine brightly for you. So Lord, we praise you for the dark room moments. We thank you for the dark room moments. May you help us to be faithful in the middle of them so that we can fulfill your vision at the end of them. In Jesus' name, amen.